welcome to the Build Business Acumen podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Skula. Sustainability is an intellectual compost as old as fossil fuels and a bit more. So much about the unholy alliance of resources, sustainability, climate hysteria and profits and the perversion of both sustainability of resources and profit making. The raison d'etre of business and the intellectually bankrupt pursuit of climate hysteria. I am Nathaniel Schooler, and I was just quoting Stephen J. Manning, and we will be talking about that if you continue listening to this video. I'm very privileged to be joined by him, and you will hopefully enjoy what we have to say when we chew over this really important topic. Thank you. And he is uh, someone who you should really get to know. He's a very interesting chap. Uh, he's built a business that uh, he grew over a 20-year period from a practically bankrupt marketing business into a, a $1 billion a year enterprise. And um, he's been through, been through uh, many, many different um, challenges in business. Uh, and he's one of the greatest thinkers that I am privileged to spend my time with. And uh, I'm hoping that you that you really enjoy this conversation. We're, we're going to talk about sustainability. It's something that is on everyone's minds. And, you know, we've got this law that's coming out, uh, which is actually, um, it's already it's already out there. But the EU's new sustainability law is is pretty serious for businesses. And yeah, I'd be interested to sort of talk about this topic, really, Stephen. So I want to thank you for joining me and uh, and say uh, I really appreciate you and your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the kind words. And uh, let's forge ahead courageously into what is a massive topic uh, with dimensions I never thought uh, I'd be thinking about just a year or two or three ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. I mean, I think I think that there is there is a general panic around climate change. Obviously, uh, there is there are you know there are climate change deniers, and then there are you know people who who really believe that there's massive climate change that's happening, and it's all due to emissions and 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 everything else and i'm i'm not 100% sure myself on that despite the fact that i've absorbed a lot of content on both sides uh i certainly know that you know cities most definitely need to be greener i think that they need they need to have less smog they need to be healthier for people's lungs i know that that is a that is a massive thing but in terms of in terms of the bigger picture uh, I think we can all do more to help the help the planet and and reduce our footprints. Right? Would you would you sort of agree with that? Well, by definition, that would be a good thing. Uh, I think uh, uh, um, you, and lots of people, and I struggle with the uh, uh, the qu the quantitative side of climate change. There is climate change. Uh, what percentage of that is human uh, created or human pushed rather than just cyclical climate changes 
And then, I mean, as you and I chatted just a few minutes ago, 20 years ago, we were warned by some of the great thinkers, some of the great purveyors of this, which is now obviously rather large industry, an ice age is coming and we're all going to die because the, 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 the globe will freeze over. In seven years, 10 years, 15 years, of course that changed. Some of the very same people are warned us that the, the, glo the, the, the globe will burn up, uh, we will be inundated. I'm sitting uh, three miles away from the Pacific Ocean. I will not be able to live here because you'll be inundated. And that will happen in seven years or 10 or 12 or eight. Hey, listen, uh, we have a couple of billionaires that have been pushing this narrative for years. It's over. 10 years, eight years. We have a couple of members in Congress that stood up and said within 12 years, it will no longer exist unless we do something about it. Bottom line, give up, destroy, forget all fossil fuels. So there, there's, there's, a, there's certainly a quantitative and a qualitative difference between climate concerns, the reality of some climate change. Again, I happen to think that 85, 90% of that is not human cause, it's cyclical. And let's remember that in terms of climate or a lot of these godly sort of things, uh, two, two, ten year, two years, 10 years, microscopic in context of global trends. 20, 30 years gets a little more relevant. But uh, so the question is, uh, do I want to buy into climate change? To some extent, I do. Climate warming. The globe uh, got warmed by one degree, one centigrade over some reasonable period of time, notwithstanding what Al Gore says and some of the other brilliant brains out there. That happens cyclically in history and it will happen again. It will happen again. Uh, no, I don't want to buy into climate hysteria, and I certainly abhor what I call, forgive me, climate fascism. Now, in, uh, uh, so the, the thing that's evolutionary to me is the incredible transition, if you will, and acceptance, and now the creation of some amalgam of resources, their sustainability, and global warming. Now, we have been preoccupied with resources, sustainability of resources around the globe forever. Do we have enough uh, foodstuffs? Do we have enough raw materials to manufacture things that we as a population have to have? To have? Is there enough of that to sustain the immense population growth? Well, you know, population growth is not a matter of a couple million people. You're dealing in billions, and there are certainly population growth in our world that differs very much what you might find in the UK or the EU or even the United States. So the question is, is there, what is the situation of those sustainable things? Now, and then there's, there's a, not, not a side qualifier for me. I think it's a significant qualifier. It's not the existence of the resources. And we have to strip away things like water in sub-Saharan Africa and so on. But those resources, the existence of them, the abundance of them, by the way, side note, we can feed the entire world, period. We can't. That's a practical matter we can't. On the other hand, we really can't because that would create a, an economic uh, tsunami that will destroy world economies. We can't just go ahead and give free food to everybody in the world because then food is no longer has any value. Therefore, you can't create it. You can't grow it. You can't make it. But 
The thing that troubles me more than available resources, the use of the resources and finally the control of those resources. Uh, we right. essentially, we, the United States, um, essentially the EU have subgraded our rights to the worldwide resources to China. China is buying everything inside in Africa, on the entire continent, in South America, Latin America, anywhere in the world they can get a foothold. We will build your airport, we'll breed the bridges, we'll feed your people, do whatever. Some could have mineral rights. Give it a year or two, rare earth minerals will be the 95% preview of the Chinese government. Congratulations. They will dictate what you're going to pay for your computer. Now, so it's the whole idea of resources, the sustainability of them, it's multifaceted and phenomenally exciting as intellectual. As a practical idea, okay, do we have, what do we have? Uh, can we protect it? Can we use it wisely? We are not. Uh, and who controls who controls the ownership and therefore ultimately the usage pricing and all that all the resource, resources that sustainability which is now <laughs> this incredibly unholy alliance between sustainability and climate change exploited by everybody who is not part of a fringe industry that's pushing this that that and that that well, let's not forget and we're talking about people. Let's not forget our people's ability to live, to exist, and essentially have a quality of life. Uh, when you get uh, authoritarian governments like ours who dictate increasingly every aspect of my life, really, how long before somebody comes to me and says, hey, Steve, you can no longer drive that car? You, and I'll say, wait a minute, I happen to like my car. And two, I don't really have $29,700 to buy the cheapest electric car in the market today. I don't have it. Now, I will focus on the United States of America in context of that. 46% of the people who live in the United States, 46%, this is on very good authority, it's all over the press, are, are a $400 unexpected expense away from going to debt. In other words, if the car breaks down, something happens, somebody needs help, $400 away, I'm going to debt. That said, our credit card debt in this country has risen to a level that is heretofore never seen before and continues to, because, you know, I can't afford a 400 bucks. I try to get a credit card. I can get one. I can get a, I can get a toxic credit card, which only charges me 28%, and I get a $500 limit. That's gone immediately because I have a $400 expense. So let's be careful. We're going to sit here and mandate that every new car sold in California in 2026, I think, or whatever it is, whatever idiotic new thing is, will have to be an electric car. Who the heck is going to? I guess. Give that paradigm four or five years, and Los Angeles, California will look like Havana, Cuba. 80% of cars will be 25 years old. Now, you, have you been to Cuba? Go to Havana and look on the streets. You see some of the most magnificent 1950s Chevrolets and Fords. You don't, other than government cars, you're not going to see in a 2020 anything. Anyway, 
I veered somewhat off the topic because the reality is that you and I read and listen. Those of you listening to this, you need to trust that between Schooler and me, we've read a thousand pages on the subject over the last year or two, would you say? Because it's fascinating. I would say so. I've dug into I've dug into electric batteries, I've dug into electric microgrids. And and that's a particularly interesting topic. I did an interview with a gentleman who uh, is building a business in that in that space. And mm-hmm. and what's interesting is is that uh, the the existing electricity grid, which is which is you know ubiquitous to most most countries, is in fact based upon Edison's uh, designs. So nothing has changed, right, since Edison created that. Okay. So, so basically, that is ripe for disrupting uh, and being disrupted. That is something that that is a necessity to be to be disrupted. Solar solar panels on your house, your own microgrid, which then you can sell back to um, to to other people potentially. That that is disrupting that that enterprise. But like all of these, there is so much regulation around change. That actually it it limits, it doesn't it doesn't actually help the change. It limits the change, right? And and this is a big big problem. I I think the the corporate sustainability reporting directive, uh, with with the European Green Deal, uh, which which is uh, which is in now, uh, that is actually a, a huge problem for a lot of businesses. Uh, there are there are get outs for the sort of you know sort of big big businesses can get out of it until 2028, but actually, if you're a supplier to these to these medium sized businesses, I think they I think that the medium size is like 20 I think it's 40 million uh, turnover a year. So it's a it's still a small small business, but if you're one of those businesses and you're dealing with a big business you're going to have to start tracking and 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 keeping an eye on on your goals and this fits into obviously the ESG goals right which is which is part of the corporate you know corporate social responsibilities part of part of that right um but I, but I do I do think that it, it it does open up opportunities i think there are opportunities to to work with uh, technologies to to track and trace and uh, do good things, and I, I do think that that is something that is uh, is possible. There are interesting, uh, sustainable kind of solutions to that, uh, and but I do I do think that there is a lot of food that is wasted still, and this is and this is something that there are some uh, solutions for that, and I think I think that is something that you know if you think about the amount of hungry children that are just you know in 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 one city as an example. If if we the people who actually have a little bit of spare money or have some spare food can actually help those kids to eat, then we are doing something towards the sustainability, and and that goes for big big businesses also because they can encourage their employees to contribute towards these funds uh, and contribute towards these kind of solutions, right? But I think we I think we're in a very challenging place. I mean, here in Croatia where I live. There's an interesting, interesting thing with the, with the car taxes. There's a very interesting thing. I mean, you don't pay any tax on new cars. I think you'll find if you import a new, a brand new car, you don't pay any tax because the emissions on that new car are super low. But if you buy a car in a certain bracket, which is the middle bracket, right, 
then that costs you money every year, right? Fortunately, my bike, my motorcycle, every year I don't have to pay extra because I've got like a 21-year-old bike. So I'm over the period. But if it was if it was a bit newer, that would because it's got a massive engine, that would that would cost another 150 euros a year or something on top. So they're, they're gleaning this, this money from people who they think can afford it. But those people in the middle, they're going to be the people that can't actually afford it because they're the ones that want to upgrade to a new car. So prices of, of, of uh, old cars has got, have gone up dramatically in, in, in Germany and Europe. I've been watching the past, the past year and, uh, you know, uh, I would say they've gone up certainly 10 to 20% for something which has got 300,000 kilometers on, on the clock. I mean, it'll do, it'll do a million miles. Some of these cars do a million kilometers because they're so well built. And this is, this is the challenge. It's like you're going to want someone who's been driving a really fast car, really great car. And you're going to, you're going to make them buy an electric car that actually they're just not going to enjoy. Like I, I find it very, very disturbing actually, if I'm honest, uh, because I'm unsure still as to what the greenness actually, apart from obviously the environment within a city, because we all like to have uh, clean air. I mean, that's the, that's the, that for me, that's, that's an important thing, right? If you live in a city and there's clean air, then you feel better about your life and you're not, you're not coughing and you don't get as many respiratory diseases. And then obviously that, that has a has a has a positive but i really i really still am confused if i'm honest Stephen. uh you laid a lot of stuff on me and i will, <laughs> uh, i will try to retain some of it uh if I, I i will try to go back just a little bit unpack some of this just a little bit um alternate and solar panels what a wonderful idea assuming the sun is shining and assuming that you create an infrastructure to store the power, which does not exist. Hey, Mary Ellen, can we watch TV tonight? No, no, this is raining all day. Can't watch TV. Uh, that's an ongoing joke. But then you have to be careful when you listen to micro brains, uh, demented and absolute disingenuous brains like John Kerry on the subject. Here's a little statistic, a projection. Let's say that we want to light Manhattan, the island of Manhattan, using solar panels. Not a problem. Do you know how much surface panels you need to light Manhattan for a week? The entire surface of the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, We'll wipe out all those buildings, move all those people up, lay down solar powers, and we can light up Manhattan for a week. Thank you, John Kerry, the smallest brain in the history of American politics. Well, the second. But let's not get into that. Now, and then, uh, oh, wind farms. There's only one problem with wind farms. They tend to really scare the fish if you put them in the water. They deface the earth beyond repair, if you put them on earth, and they are the single most inefficient source of electric power there is. Nuclear power, oh my God. 
not everybody builds nuclear power plants like the Russian did in Chernobyl. We actually build them to not blow up, which is a good thing. How much of Europe is powered by uh, nuclear nuclear power? Okay, there's, there's another source of energy. Now, let's talk about that in a global scale for just one moment. We in the United States of America and certainly Western Europe absolutely have the technology absolutely refutably to create clean uh, coal-burning power plants. With, you can take the emissions from that plant, pump them to your house, you live to be 100. That said, so we're going to eliminate all fossil fuels, and I'll get back to the great European law, which uh, the sound you hear, Nathaniel, is my brain cells dying, contemplating that. Uh, you have we can't create coal burning plants that don't pollute the air. We got enough coal for generations and generations. That unfortunately does not pass the so what test. That just fuels this massive industry here of climate change economy. As long as Russia, as long as China puts online two dirty coal burning plants a week, elect electricity plants a week, dude, that's half a continent. India, that's another half a continent, same thing. Uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh. Hey, are you going to tell Nigeria, which has a substantial economy and a big population, they shall not have carbon emissions? Go right ahead. Because all they're going to do is say, later for you, the Chinese will build my next airport or my next bridge. Go away. Uh, there's a little problem here. We are responsible for this much of the pollution of the earth. You are that much. And then there's China, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and on and on and on, and, and much yeah. of Africa. But we're so all, but we're all responsible, like, aren't we? We're well, we all are responsible, and we should do our we're share. Buying, because we're buying, we're buying items from, from those, those countries, right? Because we're and we're going to continue that, because after all, we are in a capitalist society, mm -hmm. and we're going to do, and, and that then, by the way, Let's talk about uh, uh, let's talk about sustainable SG, Let's talk about that for a second, but then uh, continue with this. Okay, so I run a company that does forty million uh, turnover, four million euros, or whatever. And then by law, I'm going to call you, say, Nathaniel, you're one of my big suppliers. I make widgets. You supply this and that. Uh, unless you are also absolute carbon neutral, I can't buy from you. But if you happen to be, then we have another problem. You need to hire a trucking company that only uses electric trucks. Good luck. Uh, that, that, by the way, as an industry segment is, is not tenable. The typical trucker cannot afford an electric vehicle. That's all there is to it. And then, okay, let's show you find one. You will. And then by, by absurd extension, uh, that trucking company being as righteous as they are, they're going to compel their employees to live a righteous life. Good luck with that. So that driver needs to live in a house that's that's energy efficient, that is green, and then the kids have to eat uh, non-GMO foods only, and then what happens when the whole thing implodes? Now, and then there's fundamentally 
uh, and this is something that I, I write, talk about, you do as well. Uh, the raison d'etre of a business, particularly a large enterprise, is to serve the wants, needs, benefits of their stakeholders. The stakeholders start with ownership, owners, stockholders, and then on down their workforce as well. Now, so therefore, the profit motive reigns. It's the same with a bank, that it's now compelled to alter their lending based upon how righteous the borrowers. So now, let's go back to that company. And here's the ultimate, as far as I'm concerned. If profit-making is not, is not your reason to exist, then you don't exist as a business. Yeah, uh, let's exclude nonprofits that have certain things, uh, the, the, what I call the Red Cross of the world. Now, if you reason to exist to make profits, as far as I know, without profits, altruism doesn't exist. Yeah, I don't make any profits. How do, how do I donate? How do I make other people's lives better? I, ultimately, my workforce erodes. My suppliers erode. It, it, it just really devolves into chaos, and economic chaos. So let's be sure we understand that if we hand, we have bootstrap, that's probably the wrong word. If we hand strap, if we tie the hands of business behind their back, with with regula regulations that they're not sustainable, sorry for the play on words, altruism is not going to happen. So we need to find that marriage and perhaps, as I said, maybe an unholy alliance of profit-making and, for lack of a more pedantic description, doing the right thing. Because ultimately, yeah. we can't destroy ourselves, no doubt. We can't. We can we can create excesses in our lives, our businesses that will destroy us, destroy the world and so on. And let's not forget that a significant part of the world does not relate to our lifestyle in the West, if you will, in, in much of Europe, certainly all, all of Europe. Uh, even Europe has some spots that are frightening. And in the United States of yeah. America with all our problems of the poverty that exists here as well. And then all the other developed nations in the world. And you know what? That whole notion of developed nations is slowly degrading. There are countries that were third world that are not anymore. And then there's continues. And to some extent, it has to do with uh, uh, the sustainability of resources for them as they change ownership and control. Um, in our backyard, Latin America, who controls most of their resources today? Russia and China. We don't. Now, again, I'm real big on feeding all those children in Nigeria and in Sierra Leone and Sub-Saharan Africa and all of Micronesia and all of uh, all of the Far East. Well, the Far East is, is, is kind of a, a mixed, mixed bag. I'm all for that. And to do that, you need the resources and you need to protect those resources. Uh, how we do that? Nathaniel, I urge interview some people much smarter than I am. Because frankly, some of that wakes me up in the middle of the night. I wake up saying, my God, we, we can, in fact, destroy ourselves, or we can change things for the better. We can protect our environment. We, can, we cannot burn ourselves up. We cannot die of bad quality air. Uh, we can survive, live, and thrive. 
And, and, and I, I don't want to be in the place where, you know, a very bright writer from Egypt once told me that, you know, part of the warring mentality of the Middle East, certainly in his world, is uh, to quote, you know, Steve, uh, for generations, generations, we didn't have enough water. We fought each other over water. Now we have plenty of water. Now we fight ourselves over all this economic stuff. And I wanted to delve into it. And he told me I was a marginally functioning idiot and he was not going to spend any more time with me. Uh, but then, you know, he has his two PhDs. I don't have two PhDs. Uh, but it's food for thought. So I, I think I answered your question. Yeah, I think I think we're in a my 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 attitude is I, I like the nuclear power. I, I, I'm a believer in nuclear power. I mean, I looked it up quickly here and a quarter of the EU's energy is nuclear. And actually more than half of that is produced in France, which is which is interesting. But I, but I do I do believe in nuclear power. I believe that there are solutions. I think that uh, we, you know, sustainability it, it goes all the way across the supply chain, right? It goes into people's lives. It goes into, you know, are we going to the office anymore, right? And it's like, look, we proved that most people did not need to go to the office. We proved that, right? But yet we still have businesses that are making people go to the office. And I appreciate that sometimes going to see people face-to-face -face is important. I appreciate that. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not true, but then you know, we have the sustainability conversation, which is, well, okay, so how much carbon is that is that producing, right? So, you know, I will see a day, I think you will see a day also in the next 10, 10 years where people have to, they have to track their, uh, their, their lives and there'll be, there'll be opportunities to, to offset these things. You know, we've already, we know about carbon offsetting, we know about you know, for good programs. And I, and I think that uh, there's a lot of innovation around that. And I'm, I'm kind of positive about it, but I think we need to, things need to stabilize uh, first before we, before we can kind of, you know, move forwards in uh, this, because it's turmoil Nathaniel, right now. I, you know. I don't doubt what you said, but as, uh, as some Western star once said, I want to see the whites of their eyes when they tell me, I can't grill a steak on the barbecue outside because it's carbon emissions. Uh, that's when I get handcuffed and write about it. <laughs> hey, I can't comment on that here in Croatia. People meet for meat. You know, you go to a restaurant and you have a meat plate. I mean, this is, this is Croatia, right? But uh <laughs> But, you know, I think I, I do believe that there are a lot of solutions that, that can be embraced. And, you know, if you want to go and check out some of uh, some of our other talks, Stephen and I have done a number of those now as well. Uh, please drop us drop us a message if you if you want to connect with us on LinkedIn is probably probably the best place. And, you know, we'll be happy to kind of talk to you. And uh, do keep your eyes open for Stephen's Stephen's book. He's got he's got uh, a book out already, which is his own book uh that he's that he's published himself in the past uh, few years uh that i've i've read and there's also a new one coming out very soon it might be out even by the time this airs i hope so um yeah it's uh it's it's been really enjoyable thank you very much thank you Nat.
Thanks for watching and listening. We urge you to connect with us on social media or go to our websites and do go to Boon Learning to subscribe to all of our talks on there. And that would be bookboon.com. We'll put a link somewhere around for you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Thank you.